Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. Welcome to another episode of the Real Animals Podcast, the Gills Real Animals Podcast, which is always presented by our good friends at Contender Boats. Really excited today to uh, bring you a pretty special guest. He is a sales manager at Sea and Shoreline. And Sea and Shoreline uh, is a Florida-based aquatic restoration firm. Um, They've completed over 150 environmental restoration projects, and they're doing some absolutely incredible things. And, And that's why I'm so excited to bring this gentleman to you today so we can dive into some of the things they're doing and and how we can all get involved and help. His name is Howard Miller. Good morning, Howard. How are you, buddy? Oh, good morning. Uh, nice to talk to you, Mike. Thank you I'm, I'm very much for yeah, uh, for inviting me on your show. I'm super excited to have you. Um, you know, the things that, that you guys have been doing, especially those things up around Crystal River here as of late, um, are, are absolutely spectacular. Why don't you kind of give, uh, you know, the listeners kind of a, a layout as exactly what Sea and Shoreline does as a company and then kind of what you guys have been up to lately. Okay. I'd love to. So right now what we're doing is a project up in crystal river and we do projects similar to this around the state in South Carolina, North Carolina. Um, and we're working actually some, some projects that we're getting ready to do in the, uh, uh, American Virgin islands. So what we're doing in crystal river is a few years ago, crystal river was kind of plagued with a lot of different things that killed their sea bottom. There was uh, some bad storms. There's naturally the pollution from man. There was uh, um, just a lot of little catastrophes that had happened. And a blue-green algae called limbia started to grow in Crystal River. And that's an algae that will grow very fast. It doubles in size every 30 days. It's an asexual plant. So every time a boat runs through it, it gets torn apart. Then you got two plants growing that fast. And what it did is it started growing so fast and it would die and cover the sea bottom and suffocate the sea bottom, create a methane gas. And before you knew it, the, the, all the sea life was gone. The snails were gone, the little croakers, the bass, you know, snook, redfish, you know, it was disappearing. And a, uh, a group um, of people up there, some grassroots people that, grew up there or spent time there when they were little kids said that they had had enough and we wanted to fix our, our bottom. We want to bring it back to the way it used to be in a nice little crystal clear water. So they saw that for different companies to see what they could do. And, um, uh, they came across uh, myself and a few different people. Oh, it was eight or nine years ago. And, um, we did a design build program for, Sam Crystal River. And um, so for the last eight years, that's what we've been doing. We have been restoring it. And uh, we're very excited now that we have restored almost 90 acres. And that grass has grown into almost 300 acres of seagrass. That's great. So um, it's, it's been very exciting how we how we had to do now, are, that. Are you, are you working on the, are you working on certain areas of Crystal River? Is it all out front? Is it, you know, strictly like in, is it Kings Bay? I mean, is there an area where, where you guys have, have focused? Um, yes. Yeah, so when we were brought onto this task, 
we had to go and develop a program. And so that was kind of my job of finding all the right people in the um, right engineers and scientists and biologists and everything. And so we put this group together and um, we designed a, a project. And when we designed the project, we started up way up at the head springs up, you, you know, where the, where the, uh, almost all the way to us 19. Wow. And we would start up in that area and go through all the canals and we would suction all the, detritus material and organics and the limbia out of the water. I mean, everything from washing the seawalls to the pilings to wherever the limbia was hanging out and, and, uh, and creating a problem because like I said, it, it grows very, very fast. So once we develop that system to be able to suck all that material out, then what we did was they um, came up with a seagrass that we could plant and survive. And that created a lot of different hurdles that we needed to handle at that point. So we designed the seagrass, we planted the seagrass, and we designed a cage that would cover the seagrass for a period of time until the grass was able to grow through the tops of the cages. If we would have just planted seagrass out there, the manatees would have come and grazed on them and just ripped them out of the Ripped right. them out of the bottom. Right. So we incorporated the manatees to help us out, basically. And by doing that, we created these cages. We put it over our grass. And then the uh, manatees, when the grass grew through the tops of the, the, the cages, the manatees would graze on it, and it would tell the plant to grow rhizomes. And those rhizomes would grow under the mud line. And then once it would go out, you know, 10 or 15 feet, it would surface and then it would grow new leaves. The plant was telling us that I need new leaves. I need new leaves. And so it would grow and, and then the plant would spread on its own. So after about two years of the caging being on there and the monitoring, we would remove the cages and then the plant was growing on its own. And, uh, and, and so, you know, that's the basics of the, of the project and how we got started. Now, when the, when the, when the um, plant started to grow and started to grow throughout the entire basin, we came and we seeded it with um, seeds so that they would, the next growth cycle, there would be more male plants than the female plants. And then it would start growing on its own. Now all that detritus material and all that stuff we sucked up, which to this date is almost, a, uh, almost 4 million cubic yards of detritus material. Jesus. Now that's an enormous amount of material. Yeah. I, I do a program with the kids at, um, um, crystal river. I think it's crystal river middle school or something like that. And I explained to them the first year of the project, how big a, like a cubic foot was and a cubic yard. And I showed them that one year we took enough material that would go from their school all the way to Disney world and back that's <laughs> so you could get so you could get a scope of how much material is coming out of the bottom down there wow. so it, it's it's a it's an unbelievable project it's it's uh, been su- extremely successful it's uh, growing well we're up in Tallahassee right now trying to secure more funds for us to keep moving out the river 
and do other projects too. So we, two years ago, started in Homosassa, and we're doing the same project in Homosassa. How hard, how hard is it to get these? Are, are you having to go municipality to municipality, or are you going, I mean, obviously Homosassa and Crystal River are all Citrus County, so I wouldn't think it's county by county. I, I mean, how, how are you able to, I mean, how do you pick where you're going next, and, and how hard a project is that to get funding, to get the okay to start doing this environmental work? I mean, to me, that sounds like a tedious task the way our government is. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's probably the biggest hurdle in reality. So what, what, how the whole program has to start basically is you have to get a grassroots group, non-profitable group that has enough concern that their backyard is dying and it needs help and we need clean water and different things like that. And so we started Crystal River and when we started, believe you me, there was a lot of naysayers that this thing wouldn't work. But we designed a nice program and told them that if we stick to it and go from A to Z, that the project will work. Don't take out any members of the alphabet because you have a recipe for disaster at that point. So we designed that thing from grassroots people, and those people would work with their um, local, you know, everything from the mayor then to Citrus County, Senator Simpson has been an unbelievable help throughout this project. He is the agricultural commissioner right now, and um, he has stood behind us all the way through and saw success. So if, um, you know, we get huge kudos to uh, Senator Simpson, sure. along with a lot of other politicians and people that have helped out. But it's it's a difficult startup because you have to get a group of people that are concerned and want to work and try to get this done. It's a lot of work sure. um, on, on everybody's behalf. But once, once we, once you get the ball rolling and we have a, um, we got a project in Crystal River that we can, we can, you know, sister in the different things that we have learned. Right. And then we can move into other places saying, okay, well, this is what we, this is what, what we've do. done. This is how it's worked. And this is our example of what we do working. Let, let, um, let me ask you this. When, when you say naysayers, what, you know, what are the, what do the naysayers say? When, but when you were trying to get off this off the ground and you were, you know, saying, Hey, we're going to do this, this, and this, and this is going to go grass. What did the naysayers come at you with? Do you remember? Well, there's, there's, yeah, sure. There's a couple different types of naysayers that, that showed up. Um, one type might have been another company that thought he had a better mousetrap oh, okay. and that he could, they could do something. So there was a little bit of negative, you know, with, with some, maybe a competitor. <laughs> then you also had some people that um, might not have been educated enough in the process and what we're doing. And they would sit back and say, Oh, you're going to spend how many millions of dollars to do this work. And we could put that money to sewer systems or some other infrastructure better. And, and so, you, you know, you had some of that, which was, which was okay for us. And, and actually it was kind of good for us because it gave us an opportunity to, to teach the people and have seminars and, and let them understand what we're doing. And that we're, when people hear the word dredge, they think, Hey, these guys are kind of going to dredge out this canal and they're going to build condos over mm-hmm. across the way and put all these docks in, and it's a bad thing, right. you know? 
what we're doing is we're not actually dredging, though that we use some types of dredging machines, but we use vacuum suction underwater, and we suck out the detritus material all the way to the sand-based natural bottom. I believe in our permit we have like a four-inch tolerance of, you know, making a mistake getting too far down into the sand table. Okay. So we have divers that go in the water with these suction um, hoses, right? And they start right there at the seawall, and they go all the way across your basin, and they come back and forth and back and forth, and they wow. take all the the oak leaves and the runoff from the from the uh, <coughs> street sewer stuff, Break dust. and take all that nasty stuff yeah, out of there. Yeah. Okay, wow. now we got a nice clean surface. It's just like planting the sod in your yard. Sure. Before you go out there and lay sod in your yard, what you want to do is you want to go out there and prep it. Sure. And get it, you know, nice and get it, you know, fertilized and get ready. Right. And that's what we do. Is we literally go down there with divers and we pump up this stuff. It's long and tedious, but it's but it's part of the process that has to be done to make it successful. Well, I wish. So, I know you guys. I know you guys. You as you and I have, have talked before this podcast i know you guys are hoping to get something going here in tampa bay and i would really love to see it from what i've seen one of our big issues here is that i believe that a lot of the some of the red tide issues that we had i don't think that all disperses disperses i think some of that ends up in your shallower areas it ends up in the bottom and i think it chokes out the bottom and i think that that Man, if we could get you guys to come in here and take a vacuum cleaner to Fort DeSoto, boy, it would sure help us out a bunch if we could get that bottom cleaned up and get that grass growing back the way it was. I think that would be amazing. That would be, un- be tremendous. So a couple things. Um, when we're doing our process up there, we remove about 95% of the phosphorus out of the water, and we remove about 50 to 60% of the nitrogen out of the water. Those are the things that these algaes like. Okay. So algae, what it does is when it comes into the water, it grows very fast. It starves the water of oxygen. Oxygen kills the, the algae. So in the long run of the thing, if you look, step back and take a large picture of this deal, what we're doing is we're out competing the algae. So we're putting this seagrass in there that, that puts an enormous amount of oxygen in the water naturally. Okay. <clears throat> then the, the plant itself is sucking up nutrients that are, that the algae wants, you know? So we, what we've done is we've created a habitat that out competes the bad blue green algaes and things that we don't want. Ox- oxygen, uh, and, and oxygen, rich filtration exactly. system. I mean, basically you're creating an oxygen rich filtration system on the bottom that works naturally right that, that works naturally works the way it's supposed that to that works naturally and that's works that's the way a, it's supposed to be that's incredible now, we killed this years ago you you know you and me and our grandparents and road building and house building and not to contribute all that to uh development because we're going to have development just face it we're going to have development we're going to grow and and uh, and stuff, but we're, God, if, we I was, if I do. was the governor, Howard, we wouldn't. I'd shut. There'd be a board. I'd put a big old wall up. Be like, y'all stay out. 
<laughs> we got enough people here. We're just letting the trucks through with the good stuff we need to party and eat and all that stuff, and the rest of y'all stay, right. stay up north. <laughs> That's Sorry. right. That's why sometimes, I, you know, like people say, oh, you're, you know, so gorgeous up there in Christopher. And I go, don't tell anybody. Yeah. Please don't tell nobody. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. You know, but so what, what, what goes on with the red tide? If you could think back when we started this project eight years ago, when was the last time up in red tide was up in Crystal River? Right, exactly. I can't remember. I can't either. Now, every place is going to be unique to itself. Okay, Crystal River is extremely unique to our um, water habitat up there because it's there's so much fresh water that is coming out of the springs and it flows right into the Gulf of Mexico. Sure. So. You, you have water temperature and you have salinity levels. So we had to develop um, the seagrasses that are indigenous to Florida that will compete w- and stay strong through star- big storms that bring in high salinity or water temperatures that stay at 72 degrees year round. You know, so there was all these different hurdles. Now you say Fort DeSoto, you know, oh, that'd be great out there in Fort DeSoto. Yeah, it would be fantastic. We have different hurdles. So right. it's going to be salt water all the time. It, so we have, you know, a, a different type of uh, seagrass and methods that we do. Your water flow is, is usually not returning out there. So you have the Gulf of Mexico that's bringing water past it, high tide, low tide. It's actually different water. It's water from down the coast or up the coast or, or something like that. Right. In smaller estuaries, it's a flush that comes in and out, in and out, in and out. So we have to develop our, our waterways to where they don't act like a sump. So the tide comes in, drops off all this sediment and organic material. And as the tide comes out, it doesn't take it with it. Are there any thoughts, Howard, are there any thoughts on, on, you know, from, from your guys in the know about the challenges that you'll face attacking an estuary like Tampa Bay where we have, you know, our own municipalities dumping sewage water all the time where we have these red tide outbreaks, even though, you know, like this year it's just kind of patchy, but we've had some where it's not so patchy where we're covered in it. You know, I would think that would create a lot of different challenges for your scientific side. If you're building grasses that can compete with all that nonsense. So, so we have developed a lot of different things. So up in Tampa, up in, in North Tampa Bay, we have done some restoration projects that are up there um, just a few years ago, and they're very successful. The grass is growing well, and we're creating um, oxygen in the water, and it's doing – but, you know, that's a small little piece of Tampa Bay. Right. It, it, you know, and this stuff, it's an expensive process to do. The biggest hurdle is permitting. <laughs> I hate to say it. But our permitting agencies um, are are huge are huge struggle. I mean, we, just Crystal River alone, we well, spent over half a million dollars in permitting of course and going over and over and over it. You know, are so, your, your permits are coming from government agencies, I assume. So we have to permit almost through every per- agency: Swift Mud, FWC, FWS. Army Corps, DEP. That's so, you know, it's so uh, weird because they're usually so easy to work with. I just thought oh, that's so oh weird. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so we fast-tracked our permitting for our pilot project in Crystal River eight years ago, 
as fast as we could and using as much political power as we could and, and doing everything that we possibly walking documents through and so forth. And it took us 18 months. We were waiting on some permits that are existing with the same project that have been submitted for over two years. That's, that's absolutely so ridiculous. It's, yeah. It, it, that, so, so that's why I say when you get your grassroots group of people together, it's not like, Hey, just make a phone call to see in shoreline and we're going to come solve your problems and so forth. <clears throat> right. So it's a, it, it's a group that has to, has to be willing to, to, to do the battle, you know, to help out with getting, you know, the, the movement moving in the right direction. And, you know, we haven't only done crystal river, you know, we've done several projects throughout the state. Um, we've got a nice project that, that we planted down in stump pass about, well, it's about two years ago. Um, do you remember the mercury testing center down there in, in um, of course, down in Placida, Placida. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Where, when we were little kids, we used to wish that we were the guys riding in the boats with the little yellow helmets. Yeah, actually, uh, funny, funny, story, funny story about that. My father, um, when I went to get out of the military back in 93, my father had a job for me, had I wanted it, running one of the test boats because my dad worked at Mercury in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. He worked up at Mercury headquarters there in Wisconsin. So my dad said, hey, I, you know, I got some contacts there. And of course, I'm like, First of all, Dad, they're, they're going to be really mad at you when I get down there. And at the time, I wasn't a captain. It wasn't like I had spent that much time in a boat. So I'm like, they're not going to be real happy with you when I get there. And I'm kind of clueless. And they want me to run a boat at 180 miles an hour all day, every day. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but anyway, yes, yeah. I know that facility. Well, well, I remember so. when I was a kid, I was like, dang, that'd be a super job. I just go out on a boat every day, yeah. <laughs> ride around yeah. and stuff like that. Well, so um, that was bought by some private individuals. And um, we backfilled that, filled those canals that were deep up to levels that seagrass can grow and other um, life, you know, from snails to woke snook and everything like that. And so we went in there and put seagrass in there. And that project has been very successful, um, too, that's on this coast. And so, you know, we're, we're involved in a lot of different projects. Um, I got a phone call just recently from Marco Island they're concerned about some of their water clarity and, and the health of their water down there. Got a, got a call from Burnt Store Marina, and there's a group that's down there that's also concerned. So we're developing these different types of projects um, and trying to you know, get out and do as much as we can. We are doing stuff in the Rainbow River and Caloosahatchee, and you know, so we're, you know, we, we've got quite a bit going on, and we have a very strong um, a marine biologist group. I, I think we employ very close to a hundred people and a lot of them are marine scientists. So, you know, we we don't only have to, um, build and do these projects and try to get the money and help, you know, the people through the process and things like that. But we, you know, we've got to, uh, um, design them and then actually get in the water and get them going. Uh, so it's, a big hurt, a big, big job. Is there, is there, is there a, a way that, you know, if, if for the, for the listeners, when people want to know, okay, this is great information. There's a company out there that's, that's revitalizing our seagrasses, which we, 
you know, should all know if, if you love the outdoors, how important that is to each and every estuary all around the state of Florida, all around the Gulf of Mexico, all up the Eastern seaboard. Uh, what, what, what can people do to get involved to help this process to help? I mean, is it straight, you know, how you vote? Is it, you know, is there phone calls you can make? Is there a way they can get with you guys? Is there a website? I mean, what, what do, what do people do, Howard? Well, yeah, great. Um, good question, because there's a lot that people can do in different fashions. So, yes, we want to vote guys in that are very concerned about their clean water and what's going on with, with um, the environment. Senator Rubio is also very strong. You know, so there's some um, uh, Senator Scott. I don't know if he's a senator anymore, but um, uh, he, he has been very instrumental in, in what's going on. Um, so that part is important to make sure that our politicians are the right politicians that want clean water in the state of Florida. The other things that can be done is, uh, go online to, um, save crystal river, Mm -hmm. fantastic organization. And you can kind of see how they developed. There's an enormous amount of literature that they can look at from that grassroots group of the people that are involved and how they did it and read some of the literature that they have on there, become a volunteer for, or, you know, all sorts of little things they do. You can donate money to that project in itself. Um, you can go online to uh, see in shoreline and, and look at some of the projects that we have that might be closer to your neighborhood or something like that and get involved with the uh, grassroots group that might be, you know, in your neighborhood and, 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 uh, and move forward to give me a phone call and I'll help you steer your way or find out what's going on in, in, you know, your canals or passageways and see if we can get programs going in your way. You, you know, for me, it's, it's a great job because what I'm doing is so incredible to the environment and to what's going on. You feel good about the work that you're doing and sure. it really is exciting and, and pleasurable and the people that get involved with the groups that do this, they they get the same feeling, you know, like, wow, I'm involved in something that literally is making a huge difference sounds in like, our environment. Sounds like to me, that's the key. You know, you can, you can get involved sometimes with groups and, and, and what they tell you they're doing and what you see accomplished sometimes are two different things, or sometimes it's hard to see the accomplishments. Um, right. You know, for whatever reason, maybe they don't do a good job on social media. Maybe they don't do a good job sharing their accomplishments. Maybe they don't do a good, good job getting their accomplishments accomplished. Um, but, you know, with an organization like you guys, you know, the SaveCrystalRiver.com, that group up there that has, you know, I mean, you're talking about 300 acres of grass. That's a huge change. 300 acres is a big, that's a lot of water covered that that's a significant change that has been in place by this process. And I think that's something that maybe hopefully people can sink their teeth into and get involved. That's crazy. Good stuff. So here's a pretty neat stat is that one acre of seagrass is worth the same carbon footprint as 30 acres of the rainforest. Wow. That's incredible. You don't see the seagrass, you see it underneath. But the carbon outlay and the carbon footprint of that is just tremendous. And and um, um, when you start doing these things and you learn all these different, you know, I, I'm not 
the biologist. I'm not the scientist. I'm the guy that puts all the guys together right. and gets to learn, you know, a lot of cool stuff. But once you start doing that and then you step back and say, Oh my God, look at what we did. I get phone calls from people who lived on the river all their lives and they knew what it looked like years ago, crystal clear, jump in the water. You could look like a swimming pool, swim over the springs and come back. And then they saw it go bad and you couldn't, Mike, I took a, a guy brought me up there in, in eight years ago, eight or maybe nine. And he took me on his little boat to go back into the canals and show me what was going on. His little 9.9 mercury motor would overheat every couple hundred yards because the Olympia would take the motor and starve it out. Wow, that's it, crazy. That was stunk. It was hanging on boat lifts. It was just, so those guys remember seeing that. And now they go back out there and see how clear it is. I get phone calls from a guy who goes, Hey, I, I took my grandson on my dock and caught fish for the first time. That's awesome. And never could have done that before. That's changing lives. So, let, let me ask uh, you one more. Let me ask you one more question here quick. Sure. What's the, what's the, how do, how do I put this? What's the long-term prognosis for what you're doing? Is this something that sea and shoreline is going to have to come back in and do in another 15 years or 20 years or 10 years? Or is this something that because of the way you're doing it, what you, you know, what the science is telling you is that this is a long-term fix. Do you know that yet? Are we at a point where we can even have an answer to that question? Yeah, that's a great question because we do have an answer to that. And so what we have done is we put together this project and then we actually, for the first three years, guarantee the grass survival rate, like 90% in there, but we blow that out of the water. So, but now what we have to do is we have a maintenance program. So, you know, in the first area, like let's say the first year of the area that is done and completed, it's growing. Our divers go in there and they survey the area. They look to see if there's any problem areas or problem childs happen. Is there an outbreak somewhere or something like that? And if there is, we clean it up immediately. And so if there's, and, and we're going to come across problems, I don't, you know, from whatever reasons, but then we find out what is caught, what caused that. And then so, our scientists look at it, engineers look at it, and say, oh, we got, a, we got an open water pipe that's coming from US-19 or something, dumping in here, this is the problem. All right, so how do we fix it? And then we get on board and we fix it. So there's, there's after this program is over, I don't know if it is over, because we do maintain it, we go out and survey it. There's a third party engineering firm that we'll see every once in a while on a boat and they're out there looking around and they're measuring the fish Our after our uh, first year that we were there, we reintroduced 17 species of life back. So we reintroduced some snails and croakers and different kind of snook and, you know, all these different kind of fish that had not been there for three years prior to him starting his, his, um, his, his surveying. That's great. That's great. We've opened up over 900 new spring vets. Wow. So um, that kind of jumped from your question. That's but, okay. <laughs> you know, us as, us as being uh, stewards of, of, of the earth, what we need to do is we need to always maintain it. Like you put your new brand new yard in your backyard and the sod looks good. You've got to cut it. 
you got to fertilize. Yep. You got to poison it. You got to do, you know, whatever you got to do to um, to make it healthy. And so that's what we have to do to our sea bottom. That's what we have to do to our coral. That's what we have to do to, you know, our, our waterways, or or we'll lose them. There's no doubt. It's uh, this has been very eye opening. SaveCrystalRiver.com is one of the websites you can go to. How do they get a hold of you, Howard? What's the best way to reach Sea and Shoreline if somebody wants to talk to you guys about maybe coming to their area? Okay, uh, my email is Howard at SeaAndShoreline.com. You can email me directly. That, is that SEA? Is that SEA? SEA AND. Okay. Sea and Shoreline. Gotcha. And, and um, you can go online there or you can go online and learn it or, or read about some of the literature in there. And if you're curious, send us some stuff. We'll send you some information, get involved. Um, we, we, you know, always need volunteers. We, you know, the, the organizations, they always need money and support. <laughs> There's it's, it's hundred percent volunteer organize, uh, save Crystal rivers, hundred percent volunteer. So it's, in- I, I think, I think they have a receptionist that they pay. Well, <laughs> so, the, you know, that the entire money goes goes straight to something that is doing something good. There's a whole group up in Tallahassee right now, and they're all up there on their own dime. You know, everybody does these fundraisers on their own dime. You know, so it's it's a grassroots program to be involved in that you know your money's going back into the water and all to a super good cause. So it's exciting to be involved with action. Action works. My friend Howard, so much appreciative of your time today. Very eye opening stuff. See in shoreline is the company. You got the websites there. Check it out. Howard Miller. Thank you so much again for spending a little time with the real animals podcast. We most certainly appreciate it. And, uh, you and I will, will definitely talk soon. We'll get some radio time in here as well. And, uh, we'll help you spread the word. Keep up the good work, brother. I appreciate you. Well, I appreciate it also, and remember that seagrass saves sea life. Amen, brother. Wow, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Real Animals Podcast as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Uh, Howard Miller, Sea and Shoreline, what they're doing um, is absolutely incredible. Uh, I look forward to more interviews with this uh, company with Howard and his people uh, on the radio side, uh, just because again it's um, it's so important to what we do. So uh, felt really blessed to to get a little time to uh, to talk to them today. And again, certainly hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, I really did. I was looking forward to getting him on. So. As always, the Gills Real Animals podcast is presented by Contender Boats, and we're available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, ritampabay.com, and Spotify. Remember, it's important to subscribe, rate, and review. Um, we are trying to drop new podcasts as often as we can. I was on a on a mission to get them done every two weeks, and sometimes that works for us, and sometimes it doesn't, depending on my shoot schedule, especially early in the year. But uh, we're getting some done, and we're trying to bring you some good ones. So as always, we certainly appreciate you listening. Remember to follow us on Facebook, on The Real Animals Fishing Show, and on Instagram at Real Animals TV. We're also on TikTok now at uh, Captain Mike Anderson, Real Animals TV as well. So check us out there. Follow us. And again, thanks for listening. We do appreciate you.